Happy Resurrection Sunday. When I say He is risen, what do you say? Amen. Amen. He is risen. Amen. God helps those who help themselves. True or false? God helps those who help themselves is probably the most often quoted phrase that is not found in the Bible. The problem is, however, that as recent research found, that as many as 52% of practicing Christians strongly agreed that the Bible actually teaches God helps those who help themselves. Well, this is a huge dilemma, isn't it? Because many of those who call themselves Christians wrongly think that they can or must help God in the work of salvation in order to get right with God, in order to remain in a right relationship with God, in order to get to heaven. The problem is the Bible actually teaches the opposite, the contrary. Salvation is God's work from start to finish. As we heard last Sunday from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, or he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? Scripture teaches that God helps not those who help themselves, but God helps the helpless. According to Isaiah 25, 4, God helps the poor and the needy. In addition, Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And Romans 5 verse 8 continues, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. The fact is, the message of Christianity is surprising, even shocking. It's beyond the human rationale. This is why the Christian faith is entirely unique. Human minds could not have conjured it up on our own. This is why when Christians refer to the central message of our faith, we call it the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In fact, those three phrases mark the three particular ways that Christianity is different from every other religion in the world. First, Every other religion teaches that man must earn their way to God or to heaven or to perfection or to nirvana. That justification is by works or work-based righteousness. While Christianity claims justification is by grace. Second, every other religion has systems of rules uh, to appease their gods. Once they have entered into that religion, there are requirements or means to keep them in it. Their sanctification is by works of the law or by rule-keeping, while Christianity claims sanctification is through faith. And thirdly, the most important distinction of Christianity is that while every other religion's leader is dead, Christianity claims the truth of the empty tomb. Hallelujah. The tomb of Jesus is empty because why? Jesus was resurrected. No other religion claims this reality. The reason why Christians have gathered to worship Jesus for over 2,000 years, Sunday after Sunday, is not to worship or commemorate a dead God, but a living God. The reason why Jesus' birth, Christmas, and His resurrection, Easter, is celebrated around this nation and around the world. The reason why the Christian Bible is the best-selling book of all time with no competitor that comes even close. The reason why some of you are joining us today is not because Jesus Christ lived an inspirational life and ultimately was dead and buried, but because Jesus rose again on the third day because he is alive today. 
And friends, the fact of his resurrection could not be denied. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, If Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. It is in vain. If Jesus is still in the grave, Christianity is a hoax. And all of us are a bunch of deluded fools. But he is risen. He is risen. Amen. That's what Christians gather to testify Sunday after Sunday, that He is risen indeed. Here we are over 2,000 years later with His followers in the millions throughout the centuries. Jesus' followers are even persecuted for their faith. So many of them even onto death in history and around the world even still today. Why? What happened? Simply that everything written about Him Everything that he spoke of was proven true. Listen, lies and lunacy doesn't perpetuate for over two millennia. Only truth prevails. And the truth that God, through Jesus Christ, redeems sinners, through Christ's finished work, his sinless life, his substitute death, his resurrection, his resurrection which sealed the deal, is the reason why sinners like you and me, sinners past, present, and future, can be acceptable to a holy and righteous God because we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're continuing our study through the epistle to the Galatians in our series, There is One Gospel. And we've been learning that the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is truly a divine gospel. It's not a man-made gospel, you see. That's why Paul, the author of the letter, writes this letter as a corrective to the Christians in the churches in the region of Galatia in an effort to redirect them back to the true gospel. Because what was happening was that the young Gentile non-Jewish Christians were being dangerously influenced by a group of false teachers known as the Judaizers who were teaching them that in order to be a Christian and in order to be part of God's church, the body of Christ, that they must follow Jewish cultural practices of circumcision and other purity and ceremonial laws in order to be truly of God, to be truly saved. And the Apostle Paul, knowing this false teaching, that adding to the gospel was a damnable offense to God, Paul says, if anyone should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, contrary to justification by grace through faith in Christ alone, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. Listen, Paul understood the seriousness of the problem at hand. To depart from the one true way of salvation was to lead people literally to damnation, to hell. Hence, we see Paul's strongest language in all of his biblical writings. Paul knew the seriousness of their straying was a matter of life or death, hell or heaven, freedom or bondage, eternal life or eternal judgment and torment. That's why the justification of faith is the doctrine in which the entirety of Christianity hinges on. As another Bible scholar says, justification remains the center and the beginning and the end of salvation. I love that quote because as you will see from our passage this afternoon, Paul shows us exactly how justification by faith alone is the center and the beginning and the end of our salvation. Our passage this afternoon in Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 14 begins the second main section of the letter where Paul begins his defense of the gospel which will run until chapter 4 verse 11. And Paul begins this section by defending the gospel of grace, justification by faith, theologically against his opponents, the Judaizers. And the main question that Paul answers in our passage is this, how does faith in Christ alone justify sinners? 
So if you're sitting here ever wondered how sinners like you and me can have peace with a holy God, with a righteous God, how unrighteous people like all of us can be made right with a righteous God, I have good news for you this afternoon. I want to share with you three proofs that shows how faith in Christ Faith in Christ justifies sinners. Here's the outline so you know where we're headed. Point number one, spiritual experience from verses one through five. Point number two, scriptural evidence from six through nine. And point number three, substitutionary exchange from 10 through 14. Spiritual experience, scriptural evidence, substitutionary exchange. Brothers and sisters, I pray This message will encourage you and empower you afresh of the certainty of salvation because of your faith in Jesus Christ. I pray this message will give you hope and courage and strength and joy and confidence in the midst of so many sufferings and sorrows and chaos and confusion that this life brings because Jesus is our Savior and King and He is risen and reigning today. If you are here and if you are not a Christian or are not sure that you are, welcome. We're so glad that you are here with us today, this afternoon. Seriously, we've been praying for you. We've been praying that God would draw you to himself and show you he is real and that he is alive and working amongst his people today. So believe and know that you being here is no mere coincidence. Someone invited you. Someone prayed for you. The Spirit of God called you here. And we've been praying and we are praying right now, even in this moment, as we're listening, as we're preaching, that you would listen carefully to his voice through his word, that you would look to Jesus Christ, call on him and be saved and experience the wonderful blessings offered to you if you would repent and trust in him. So without further ado, let's turn to his word, which can be found on page 973 of the Blue Bibles around you. If you're new to the Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, the small numbers are the verse numbers. So Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 14. And as you turn there, let me encourage you to please keep your Bibles open during the entire duration of the message and follow along so you know that the words I have to share with you are from God's words and not man's words to encourage you and build you up in Him. Let me also say, if you do not have a Bible to read at home, please take one of those blue Bibles home with you as a gift from our church to you to help you study God's Word. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14 says this. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing it with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies you the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. 
But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. How does faith alone justify sinners? Point number one, through spiritual experiences from verses one through three. The first observation we can make is Paul's apparent frustration with the Galatian Christians. Look at the first part of verse one. It says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now from our Western American 21st century, always politically correct culture and perspective, calling someone foolish may sound off-putting, offensive, and judgmental and downright rude. But what if that rebuke was coming from a loving father or a wise teacher or a genuinely caring and concerned brother? Well, that was what Paul was to the Galatians, a spiritual father, a credible and commissioned apostle, a fellow brother in Christ. In fact, it was Paul's gospel ministry that had founded the churches in Galatia. That's why Paul says in the second part of verse 1, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now the ESV translation uses the word portrayed, but the original word's meaning here is proclaimed. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly proclaimed as crucified. What that means is it was through Paul's clear preaching of the gospel that the Galatian Christians had been converted and churches established during Paul's first missionary journey. Through Paul's ministry, they had heard and seen and received the gospel of the crucified Christ that it was his death on the cross as a substitute sacrifice that fulfilled all of the law and all of the requirements of the works of the law that redeemed them from their sin and justified them by grace through faith. And so given the context, Paul's rebuke to the Galatians was a loving, but even more so a crucially necessary correction since what the Galatians were straying into was indeed foolishness. They were abandoning the faith that they once heard and received. It was as if they had been bewitched or put under a spell. Paul was literally saying, what in the world has gotten into you? As I've shared in previous weeks, when someone you love and care about is about to do something harmful to themselves, you don't whisper warnings. You communicated loudly and clearly, urgently and solemnly the gravity of their impending danger. Well, what was it that the Galatians were doing? They were attempting to do the unthinkable, the unimaginable. Influenced by the false teachers, they were starting to abandon the true gospel. They were at the brink of apostasy, leaving the faith. They were believing the lie. No matter how well they started their faith journey, they wouldn't find success that they couldn't persevere to the end without undergoing circumcision and submitting themselves to the Jewish requirement of the law. Now, in case you're wondering, what in the world is circumcision? But circumcision, in terms of biblical significance, was the outward sign of an inward reality which marked God's people, the Israelites, under the Old Covenant. You can read about how and why it was first instituted by God in Genesis chapter 17. Just write Genesis 17 somewhere and refer it to later. When God makes a covenant with Abraham that Abraham would be the father of all nations. Now we're going to talk more about Father Abe in point two, but listen for now. God had instructed Abraham to circumcise every male Israelite by cutting off the foreskin of the male organ in order to signify a people set apart for himself. 
As I said, if you are unfamiliar with what I'm saying, you can read more about it in Genesis 17. But the point is this. The Jews, the ethnic Jews, took pride in circumcision. They prided themselves in being God's chosen people by this sign. Well, when Christ fulfills the law by his death, by his resurrection, Jesus institutes the new covenant in which circumcision was no longer the covenant sign. Rather, it became believer's baptism, which we'll get to witness in a couple minutes. And the Lord's Supper, which marked out God's covenant people, not by works, but by faith. You see, the point of circumcision was the sign of entry into Abraham's family. And the Israelites entered that covenant by birth, born as citizens of what became the nation of Israel. But the reason why that sign involved physical surgery was to picture and point to the spiritual heart surgery that every person would need in order to have a relationship with God. You see, this had always been God's purpose as according to, write these verses down, Deuteronomy 10.16, Deuteronomy 36, and affirmed in the New Testament in Romans chapter 2, verse 25 through 29, Deuteronomy 10.16, Deuteronomy 36, and in Romans 2.25 through 29. Now, listen closely. Post Jesus' resurrection, after Jesus rose again from the grave, the fact that the Galatian Christians were contemplating circumcision and thus trying to finish the Christian race by the flesh rather than by the Spirit, rather than resting in Christ's promises by faith, instead relying on the works of the flesh, was indeed foolishness, worthy of solemn and harsh correction and rebuke. Because what they were attempting to do was, according to Paul in Galatians 2.21, nullifying the grace of God, undoing Christ's complete and finished work on the cross. As I mentioned, Romans chapter 2, verse 25 through 29, let me read you just verses 28 and 29, which cements what Paul is saying. For no one is a Jew, a person of God, who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is the matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And as Paul explains, circumcision is a matter of the heart. And so you see how Paul argues this is the central matter of justification, the heart of the matter, if you will. Circumcision under the old covenant was pointing to this reality that true circumcision being set apart as God's people is by the spirit and not by the flesh. In other words, put it this way, true faith is by the spirit, not by the flesh. As Jesus said, you must be born again by the Spirit in John chapter 3. Now that's why in verse 2, Paul says, let me ask you only this. But then he goes off asking four rhetorical questions for self-examination. Let me ask you only this and then four questions. Well, Paul is really asking one question, one point. And the question is this. Is faith from beginning to finish by the Spirit or by the flesh? So look with me to verse 2 through 5 again. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? You see, in verse 2, Paul refers to the beginning of one's faith, how we are converted, how we are born again only by the power of the Spirit through the preached word. In verse 3, Paul addresses the progress of faith, 
what Christians call the process of sanctification, which is simply the process in which a Christian grows in spiritual maturity and holiness. And Paul's point here is sanctification too is the Spirit's work. We're going to talk more about this verse in just a bit because this was what the Galatians were actually struggling with and maybe some of you are struggling with it today as well. So we're going to talk more about that. In verse 4, Paul addresses the experience of faith in a believer. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, the word suffer can mean experience. And that's where I get the title of this first point, spiritual experience. Paul was asking them, have you experienced genuine conversion by the Spirit for nothing? Have you experienced the fruits of righteousness through the working of the Holy Spirit in you for nothing? In verse 5, Paul addresses the evidence of faith. This verse recalls to our minds Jesus' words in John chapter 3, verses 33 through 35, when Jesus said, the one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one who God sent speaks God's word since he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. What these verses mean is that God the father has given those who believe in Christ God's Holy Spirit without measure. There's no second rate Christianity. We as the people of God, if you believe in Christ, we are all one in Christ. He's given his people everything. God has given his people all of himself. Simply, Paul's point in these verses was the center of the Christian life is the Holy Spirit's work in us from beginning to finish. Do you believe that? The center of the Christian life is the work of the Holy Spirit in us from beginning to finish. More succinctly, what sets apart the Christian is the Holy Spirit working in and through us. That's the central issue. That is the heart of the matter. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, most Christians then agree with the above verses in theory, but the problem is practically, how do we live it out? Is this true of you? This was exactly the struggle of the Galatians, wasn't it? Having been justified by faith, they thought they could not be sanctified by faith, but rather they thought they needed to be sanctified by the flesh. Remember I told you that illustration of people who are climbing up those, that holy steps on their knees thinking that by doing that their sins could be washed away, that they could be pardoned of their sins. People do some crazy things all around the world. They thought they had to add to the gospel by their circumcision and by their submission to the Jewish laws. And let me tell you, it's no different from many sects of Christianity today that preach a gospel plus justification. Gospel plus works. Gospel plus humanitarian efforts. Gospel plus conservatism. Gospel plus tolerance and acceptance. Gospel plus social justice. Gospel plus racial justice. Whatever it is that adds to the gospel is no longer gospel at all according to the scriptures, according to Paul. Now I want to get as practical as possible. This is a struggle for so many Christians today, isn't it? And that's why Paul's words written centuries ago is still relevant and helpful for you and me today. Think about it this way, as tax return deadlines approach, believers know uh, we must not steal and cheat on our taxes. But given the state of the economy, given the rate of inflation, given potential for layoffs these days, we are tempted to cut corners, exaggerate holdings, add some extra zeros here and there, when we are anxious about our finances, aren't we? But when we walk by faith and trust in the Holy Spirit, we are reminded that the Lord has promised to provide for us and supply all of our needs in Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, we don't cheat and we don't steal because we trust in God's provision. We are sanctified by faith. To give you another example, we know pornography and fornication is sinful, so we fight our best to put filters, limit unhealthy engagements, etc. But we are tempted sometimes, right, to be unguarded when we are binging on Netflix new and hot shows, which are questionable at times, and compromises our consciences, aren't we? This is not that bad, we think to ourselves. And before we know it, we are less and less careful, we are more and more desensitized, and sooner or later we fall into sin. And we neglect the holiness of our walk with God. Well, brothers and sisters, living by faith means to listen to our consciences, listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, and trusting that God's ways are better for me than temporary pleasures that comes with severe consequences. Guilt, shame, lack of spiritual power, discouragement, isolation, depression, separation from God, guilt, all of that, all of that when we continue in sin without repentance. The point is obedience flows from faith. You trust in your flesh, you keep trusting in your flesh, and it will fail you. You trust in the Spirit by faith, you grow in holiness. You grow in your trust of Him. Your faith gets stronger. You grow in your love for Him. You grow in your love for the promises of God. You testify of God's Spirit working in you to others that see you. You grow in your capacity to be used by Him as you trust in Him and as you walk with Him, as you abide in Him. Amen? So brothers and sisters, how are you doing? Depending on the Holy Spirit in you to lead you and guide you through circumstances and decisions in your life. How are you doing in that? How are you growing in spiritual maturity and capacity to serve and minister to Him and His people by your obedience and reliance on Him? As a young church, I often say, we need more deacons. We need more elders. We need more disciplers. Are you growing? Are you trusting? Are you abiding in him? Do you believe that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion by the power of his Holy Spirit? Let me ask that again. Do you believe, brother or sister, that he who began a good work in you will bring you to completion? Some of you are at the brink of giving up. And I'm reminding you, this is a word from the Lord. He who began a good work in you, no matter how far, how many years you've been away from him, he who began a good work in you will bring you to completion. Amen? If you are here and you are not a Christian, I wonder if you are striving for righteousness, seeking peace, seeking purpose, seeking fulfillment and contentment by your own works, by your own merits, Scripture teaches no one is righteous, not even one. No one is righteous, not even a single person. That our hearts are deceitful and desperately sick. Simply, there is no path to righteousness, no heaven, no peace without Jesus and you being born anew by the very Spirit of God. Contrary to what so many people in this world think, you can't live your own life as your own God. You can't live your own life as your own God and then attempt to enter into God's holy heaven. You can't reject Him and undermine Him and neglect Him all your life and expect His blessings. Romans 13.2 says, The one who resists God's authority opposes God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. I tell you these hard truths because it is the truth. 
Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So oftentimes, many times, human beings think we can get away with sin before a holy God. But here, the words are clear. These words have been proven and tested for over 2,000 years. And it says, the wrath of God will be revealed against all ungodliness. Here's the truth, friend. Even despite this bad news and hard news, God has made a way for you in Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father. Heaven, perfection, nirvana, call it whatever. No one goes to the Father except through me, except through Christ. We pray you will turn to him and receive him today. But I have more good news for you, and these points are much shorter. Don't worry. How does faith alone justify sinners? Point number two, scriptural evidence, verses six through nine. As Paul's opponents, the Judaizers were claiming that they were of some special status. Again, that may have been the way previous to Jesus under the old covenant, but the new covenant changed all that. Yet they were still trying to live by and promote the old way, attempting to nullify Christ's finished work on the cross. They were saying, we are the descendants of Abraham. We are of special status before God, so you follow our way if you want to join our special family, if you want to be of the spiritual elite. Well, Paul flips the script. Paul turns the table on them, doesn't he? Paul says, all right, you want to talk about Abraham? Let's go way back. Let's go back to the beginning. Remember? Justification is not only the center, but also the beginning of faith. Look at verses 6 through 9. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all, not just the Jews, shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Man, these verses are incredible, aren't they? And they're pretty self-explanatory, so let me explain it simply for you. Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6, which says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Listen, some 430 years before God gave the law to Moses, 430 years before law of the old covenant even existed, some 29 years before the sacrifice of Abraham's son Isaac, which many think was Abraham's test of faith, which he was justified by his works. No, Paul recalls Genesis 15, 6, where it explicitly says the father of faith, Abraham, the recipients of God's original covenant was counted, counted, counted righteous by his faith. Whew. Abraham himself was justified by faith. That's why Paul says in verse 7 that it is those of faith, not those of works, who are true sons of Abraham, who are the true recipients of God's grace. To add to that even more amazing truth, in verse 8 it says, and the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Oh my goodness, this was God's plan from the very beginning. That people of all nations and tribes and tongues would be justified by faith. The scriptures preach the gospel, which meant God's promise of salvation was declared to Abraham beforehand. In you, all the nations shall be blessed. It's the reason why many of us are here today. 
most of us, I imagine, are not ethnic Jews, yet we claim this testimony that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior, our Father. Why? Because God had planned it so from the very beginning. In fact, it was God's plan from the beginning. This plan of salvation was for all people. So everything in creation, everything in the laws, everything in the prophets, everything under the old covenant was pointing to the salvation in the promised Messiah. In other words, Abraham and all the believers of the Old Testament under the Old Covenant came to be saved, believing in the Messiah, the Christ who was to come, just as we, under the New Covenant, trust in the one who has already come and is coming again. We are all saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Faith in Christ is the entrance into and the means by which we remain in and the guaranteed assurance by which we will persevere to the end. Jesus is the one who is the greater Abraham, according to John 8, 53, the man of faith in whom we are blessed. So don't look to Abraham, look to Christ, was what Paul was saying. Brothers and sisters in Christ, guests and visitors, this is the blessing that is available to you today. If you would look upon and trust in Christ this moment, you may be asking, how is this possible? It sounds too good to be true. I have to just simply believe? How is this possible? How does faith alone justify? Which leads us to our final point. Third and finally, substitutionary exchange. Verses 10 through 14. In verses 6 through 9, Paul spoke to us about the blessings we have by faith, which was God's salvation plan for all nations from the beginning. But blessing is only possible because Christ took upon himself all all the curse. This is what I mean by substitutionary exchange. Christ took upon himself our unrighteousness and he credited to us his righteousness. I know it's unbelievable if you really think about it. All of the sins of man on him and his righteousness on us. That is why the message of Christianity is good news. Hallelujah. Listen to Paul's words in verses 10 through 13. It says this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So just as Paul asked four rhetorical questions for self-examination in verses 1 through 5, Paul here gives four scriptural evidences of why the works of the flesh, the gospel that the Judaizers were promoting, why gospel plus justification was simply not sufficient to save from beginning to end. In other words, Paul is saying, you want to rely on the Old Testament laws? Let's go there. I'll show you. So in verse 10, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. What that meant is Old Covenant had taught unless you keep the law perfectly and keep on keeping it perfectly, you are under a curse. Verse 11, Paul says, no one can be justified by the means of the law anyways and quotes Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. In verse 12, Paul says, law and faith are not mutually compatible ways to God. How can you be so sure? Paul quotes Leviticus 18, 4 through 5. 
Because the law itself says that those who keep the commandments will live by them. In other words, you either live by the law or live by faith. And verse 13 is the most amazing of them all. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. How did this happen? Paul quotes Deuteronomy 21:23. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul says the old covenant points to and testifies of this. Sinners can be justified by faith because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by he himself becoming a curse for us. Brothers and sisters, guests and visitors, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the best news you will ever hear. And this gospel is an invitation for you to hear and to respond. As Paul says in Galatians 1, 3 through 5, grace to you, God extends, Christ extends his grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. This was God's purpose all along that sinful man be redeemed only through his son Jesus Christ. By his sinless life, by his substitute death, Christ took upon himself all of the sins and all of the punishment and the wrath of God reserved for you and me. He became a curse. He took upon himself our unrighteousness. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And by his resurrection, Christ defeated sin, Satan, and death once and for all. Christ fulfilled all of the law so that all who would repent and trust in him would be gifted, would be gifted his righteousness through faith and receive his blessings to live the new and abundant life here and now and eternal life with him and all who love and fear his name to whom be glory forever and ever and ever. Verse 14 is a wonderful summary, isn't it? Of Paul's whole entire argument of this section, verses 1 through 14. All of this so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Brothers and sisters, we can rest assured because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we can receive by faith. We can trust by faith. We can persevere by faith. The blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Moses, the blessing of Jesus Christ, his promised spirit, which will carry us to the end. No matter what trials, no matter what sufferings and sorrows may come our way, we can endure and persevere by the work of the spirit alive in us. Revelation 21.4 says, On the day of Christ's returning, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, this is the guaranteed promise we have in Christ. Eternal peace, eternal hope, eternal joy, and eternal rest. Friends and visitors, if you are here and you are not a Christian or are not sure that you are, what is the certainty that you can stand on? What is the hope that you can rely on? What is the promise can you rest your head on each night, knowing that tomorrow will not be your end? In this life of countless sufferings and sorrows, nothing is guaranteed for you, like literally, except for disappointment and death. Your own righteousness will never get you to purpose or peace or rest. You will keep on striving and you will never be satisfied. How can I be certain? That's what scripture says. We know the end. We know the end. Well, here's good news. Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ 
is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus Christ is not the means to an end, to happiness, to whatever you're striving for. Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. If you don't know Jesus, call on him and pray to him, Lord, help my unbelief. Don't leave this place this afternoon thinking that tomorrow is another day. Tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us here. Look to him. Trust in him. Bury your old life with him on the cross. Be born again in him by his resurrection into new and eternal life. Repent of your sins. That means to turn away from trusting in yourself and the things of this world. Believe that Jesus died and rose again for you. And trust him with your whole life today and the next day. If you want to know more about how you can follow Jesus Christ, talk to any of the pastors at the doors at the close of service or anyone smiling next to you. We're ready. (laughs) On this Sunday, we are more ready than ever to speak with you about the hope of Christ that we have in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is the center, the beginning, and the end of our salvation. May we never stray from him as our center. May we never lose our first love. May we always look and cling to him, our ultimate end, our all in all. Let's pray. Father, what joy, what privilege, what blessing it is to know you as our Lord and King, our gracious Redeemer and Savior. Father, thank you for the privilege and joy that we have to share this glorious gospel to our friends and family today as we have invited many to join us for our worship service. Father, Christians have been celebrating Resurrection Sunday every single Sunday since Jesus got up from the grave. If you remain in the grave, this serves no purpose. We're a bunch of fools. But Father, we know that you are alive. It is evidenced by the testimonies of our lives throughout the generations past, present, and future. Father, may the Spirit of God work in the hearts of people today. May they hear your word, receive your word, and call on you as Lord and King. Father, for your word says, whoever calls on me will be saved. Father, thank you for this glorious gospel. Carry us, persevere us to the end by faith, by grace, in Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.